Bernie, I don't think that they teach in schools well enough how incredibly fragile the body is. Like, it's very robust and it will cope with a lot of stuff. But we hang on to this life by our tiniest little fingernails. Something can go wrong in any part of the body and we're gone. It's amazingly important that people look after their body as much as they can to give their body the best chance to progress through life comfortably, safely, happily. And there's a few things that people need to do. Like they come in to see me and we talk about the vaccines, we talk about malaria, we talk about treating their diarrhoea and so on. But when they leave, I say to them, the single most important and most dangerous thing you have to know about is protecting yourself from motor vehicle traffic. (laughs) It's about thinking the bigger picture. The bigger picture is more than the moment of eating. You know, people say, oh, don't you want to have a bit of this cheesecake? And, you know, I eat cheesecake occasionally. Um, But it's more important for me to know that I'm healthy than to have the joy of five minutes of a cheesecake because I know that the cheesecake is going to, you know, push up my insulin levels and cause problems. So I think it's about people having the bigger picture, people understanding how precious this life is, how there is such a great opportunity to do things to make the world a better place. And you need to have... A healthy body in order to I do love that. that yeah. Look, the first thing people are really surprised about, eating junk food makes you depressed. Hey, you've just joined A Journey with Bernie. Greetings, precious and beautiful people. Thank you so much for joining me in this week's episode of A Journey with Bernie. Yes, my name is Bernie Kelly, and it's such a joy to be your show host and to create these weekly opportunities for you and I to discover actions and strategies, concepts and paradigms, processes and routines that our guests suggest might just help you and I to find greater love for self, sustainable inner happiness, and more meaning in our humble lives. That, my dear people, is what this podcast is all about. I've been on the journey of discovering joy from first breath. Thank you, Mum and Dad. But gee, my professional coaching life of the last 30 years with corporate clients and students across the globe has certainly helped me to see more, to do more, and to understand how to be more. I'm a consumer of life, a lover of nature. I do know its power. And that's why I do want to take you to the summit of Kilimanjaro, the base of Mount Everest, the intrigue of Machu Picchu, or that epic spiritual adventure across northern Spain. Ah, the Camino. You will be invited. Of course, like you, I'm searching for answers too. And this is why each week we explore the thoughts of our wonderful podcast guests, some of whom carry a very high profile on both the domestic and international stage. While others, dear people, they are just humble people like you and I. But one thing is certain, 
they will all open our eyes to new possibilities. Hey, we're all on this journey called life, aren't we folks? Let's embrace it. Today, you put on your curiosity hat, put on your jacket of learning, and let's together explore life's possibilities on this episode of A Journey with Bernie. Oh, dear people, welcome to another Journey with Bernie. I'm very excited that you've joined us today. We have a very, very special guest, a guest that I believe is going to offer a a different topic, a a different focus. And so she should because she's well recognised as a premier force in the arena of travel medicine, not only here in Australia, but also around the globe. I'm talking about Dr. Deborah Mills, who runs a terrific clinic here in Queen Street, Brisbane. Do you call it a clinic, Deb? We do. It's Adelaide Street, Bernie. Ad- Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Already corrected, and I love it. Adelaide Street in Brisbane, and I know that she's very, very popular amongst many people who are going over to developing countries, uh, any countries around the world. If you're looking at travel medicine, you go to Dr. Deb. She's the one of the pioneers of travel medicine in Australia, and of that there is no doubt. Um, when it comes to infectious diseases, In regions around the globe, Deb knows her stuff. Her book, Travelling Well, is in its 21st edition. And I can let you know that if by chance you go and see Dr. Deb to prepare for your forthcoming expedition overseas, you can get a copy of Travelling Well for free. But it wasn't always for free, Deb. No, Bernie, it's interesting because when I first wrote the book, uh, the guy who was I was working with at the time, he said, nobody wants to read your book. And he sat there with his feet up on the couch. And I, I was quite young and I was like, oh, my God. But I just had to write it because there were all these little sheets that we handed people about altitude and diarrhoea and it was just a mess. Yeah. And so I thought I'm going to put it all together in a book. Mm-hmm. And the first book was very small and very, um, very modest and it gradually got bigger because people would write to me and say, you should have told us about hangovers or you should have told us about this or that. Okay. So the book got thicker. Yeah. So it's been tested by yeah. all, the, all the people. And um, when we first got it, because it's expensive to print, we thought, well, we'll sell it to people. People will find it useful. And we said, oh, it's $20. No one bought it. It was $15. No one bought it. It was $10. It was $5. It was $2. $2. Nobody bought it. They said, oh, I don't need the book. So then we upped the price of the consultation by a couple of dollars and said, here's a free book. And people said, wow, this is fantastic. What a great thing. They got the free book. I think I remember that that price rise. <laughs> that was for the book. That was for the book, yeah, to pay oh, for the printing. I love your travel app. Oh. Your travel, tell, tell us a little bit about that so because I, I, I use that a lot yeah. with all my guests that I take on to Nepal and to Africa, Kilimanjaro, etc. Yes, well, I love technology and iPhones and so on. And I thought, well, how hard can it be to develop an app? So I found this nice little Indian man um, uh, on this program and we basically sat together and organised this app. And so now people can look up, they can dial in diarrhoea and it tells them what tablets to take and what to do. And Mm. I've had patients come to me and say, I think I've got dengue fever because I read it in your app. (laughs) And are they usually, is is it that accurate, the app, that it can actually lead people to diagnose themselves pretty accurately? 
Well, you know, it does not replace proper medical yeah. advice. Or a blood test. Or a blood yeah, test and yeah. that sort of thing. But yeah. it gives people a guide mm. and then they can – it guides them towards what might be the problem. And for simple things like diarrhoea treatment, it helps people work out whether it's time to take a tablet or not. Well, well, I had that example only three weeks ago in, in Nepal. I had a wonderful group over there that all made Everest Base Camp. But quite a few of us you know, picked up a bug somewhere along the line, including me. And forgive me for saying so, it, this wasn't diarrhoea. It, it was um, don't know how, a waterfall. It, it was a shocker. And uh, immediately went to your app typed in gut problems, diarrhoea, and there it is, azithromycin followed by lopramade, you know, and it worked. Two days later, I, I, was, uh, I was cured of the, of the problem and the issue. So, yeah, it works really, Absolutely. really well. Well, yeah. there's a lot of evidence. There are books four inches thick on how to treat traveller's diarrhoea. Yeah. There's a lot of research going on the best way to treat traveller's yeah. diarrhoea. And now it's moving away from diarrhoea yeah. antibiotics. Yeah. If people are not very sick, we say just let it run its course. But if people are very sick, absolutely it's worth taking antibiotics because you need to kill the germ. Yeah. We've got to be careful, Deb. This is going to become a shit of a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it does not replace medical attention. This is in no way meant to be medical advice. What I hope you're hearing, folks, is that I'm truly talking to someone here who knows the human body but also knows it in the context of uh, of, of travel and um, the exploration of countries overseas. So we've got real expertise here today. I think we're going to learn a lot about, I call it the miracle of our body. I call it the incredible um, essence of what our human body is about, its strength and its uh, delicacy. But let's start with something that's fairly recent, COVID. <laughs> oh my goodness! How did you how did you cope? What happened in the industry? Travel, medicine, travel. I, I mean, everybody can see, but what did you see happening during COVID times? So, of course, COVID just crashed travel, and the whole travel industry has been really knocked back. The problem is that once JobKeeper finished, people had to go and get other jobs, mm. and now everybody wants to travel. It's like. The last person who leaves Australia, please turn out the lights. Everybody's wanting to get on a plane. Yeah. But the industry is not set up for it. You can't restart an industry that's been firing along for 20 years wow. in five minutes. Mm. They open the borders, but people have got to refine all their staff, all yeah. their procedures. Procedures that worked when you were seeing three patients a day don't work when you see 50. Sure. So you've got to get used to that. We actually found it quite hard. We had this busy day the other day and we thought... Oh my goodness, this is like the old days. We're exhausted. <laughs> so so travel is definitely coming back. But I think travellers need to be very patient to understand that there isn't the same efficiency yet. Mm. It will come back very quickly, but it's just taking a little bit of time. There's a, there's a little bit of a notion at the moment, I think, that's going around that, that COVID is diluting its potent image. Now, I've heard over and over again, hey, it's nothing more than the flu. Is there truth in that? Look, the thing with COVID is that even if it only really damages 5% of the population, which for most people is, you know, it's not going to happen. There's a lot of people in this city. There's a lot of people in the world. That will be enough to swamp the health systems. Wow, and okay. so when you get your heart attack or your broken leg or your need a mammogram, need to get your breast cancer sorted, 
you can't get into the hospitals because they're mm. swamped and we're seeing that now. Mm. It doesn't take much to swamp the health system. Mm. So people sometimes selfishly think, oh, I'm okay. Mm. But there's a different way of looking at that and that is to say, well, you need to protect those hospitals so that everybody can get the medical care that they really need. You're right. And COVID has not gone away. It is still as dangerous as it ever was, possibly worse because Omicron is more prevalent. Um, it's more contagious. And so it hasn't disappeared. And people maybe could learn from the whole COVID pandemic that if they're sick, they should stay home. They should try not to spread respiratory diseases. Even influenza. Influenza crashed. There were two or 3,000 deaths a year in Australia from influenza. Mm. During COVID, there was zero. It just disappeared. But now it's back and we're getting hundreds of cases, thousands of cases. It's affecting kids. It's affecting the hospitals. Mm. And so the Queensland government and many governments governments around Australia have said, we'll give everyone free flu vaccines. Mm. Now we're seeing people say, well, I never get the flu. I don't have to worry. Mm. And yes, that's one way of looking at it, but you can still spread the disease to others. People might get a minor illness, spread the disease to their grandparents, and their grandparents will get sick. Mm. So I think it's good for the whole population to be very wary about airborne diseases. And if we've learned anything from the COVID pandemic, it is to be respectful of clean air, to make sure that you um, stay home if you're sick and that you get good medical care you know, if you do get unwell. So hopefully it's a learning experience for humanity and also to maybe change the systems of the planet so that these organisms can't arise. There's no evidence at all that it arose in a lab. It's almost you know, 100% guaranteed it arose from animals who were being maltreated, who were living in very close contact in mm. markets and basically in contact with people and the virus jumped mm. from people from animals into people. Now, that could happen again. That could happen tomorrow. Mm. So we don't want that. So there needs to be much better surveillance of viruses. We need to know where these viruses are so we can stop them. We need to have better surveillance so if a virus does jump, we're ready. Mm. And hopefully that's a lesson that we've learned from the pandemic. I, I think you're almost suggesting there that you wouldn't be surprised if in due course in time we, we could be become victims to yet another pandemic. Absolutely, absolutely. In 2004, there were articles written in medical journals saying coronavirus is dangerous, it's in the bats, we're going to have a pandemic and we need to prepare for it. And the world said, oh, we want to worry about the um, economy. We want to worry about other things. Yeah. Everybody ignored it. Now it was impossible to ignore. And maybe those kind of warnings will be recognised mm. and that more money will be tipped into pandemic surveillance, pandemic prevention. Um, we're very, very lucky that 10 years of work went into the mRNA mm. process. So when they needed a vaccine, it was literally ready within a year. Mm. Now, People think, oh, that was really fast. But it wasn't fast because literally 10 years of work went into figuring out how to deliver mRNA into the cells, how to sort of encapsulate it so it doesn't break down. Mm. It didn't happen overnight. Mm. And it's really been interesting for me because all of a sudden the population and the media are interested in viruses. They talk about r naught the way, you know, that was never talked about in sure. the general public. Yeah. So it's been a crash course in 
infectious disease and viruses and you ask what's different. In the past, I would try and explain the importance of viruses, the importance of vaccines. People say, oh, I don't know. Now they say, just give me everything. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. This is bad. How does a vaccine work? I mean, this is really, I think it's an area of interest of your own, but you also deliver them. So why should we embrace a vaccine? I and mean, there's some fear about vaccines as well. Give us, the, uh, give us your knowledge around how vaccines work and why we should consider them. So when you get sick with something, the virus comes into the body or the bacteria and it takes about two weeks for the immune system to kind of gear up and beat this thing away, which is why when you get the flu, you're really sick for at least a week up to two weeks mm. because it takes that long for your body to learn. When you get measles, you get the rash, you're really sick, eventually your body gets rid of it and this thing is, is um, sent packing. But it wouldn't have been nice if you had a bit of advance warning and so what the vaccines do is that they train your immune system to fight that particular germ. So when it comes, the body can send it packing without you being sick for two weeks. And so the cool thing about the mRNA vaccines is instead of delivering a whole killed germ, which is what the old vaccines were, like the old whooping cough vaccine was the whole whooping cough germ. Wow. It has a lot of side effects. It would sometimes cause little children to fit. It was very impure. Well, the mRNA vaccine, it's, they get the little piece of messenger RNA. Now, this is different to DNA. DNA is in the nucleus. mRNA is in the cell. RNA cannot affect your DNA. There's no way in the laws of physics that mRNA can get into your DNA. It's impossible. It's so like- the, the essence of who you are, the, your basic cellular existence, is this my interpretation, can't be affected by that the is correct so the dna which is a thing that controls everything in your body is like in the kitchen and the virus is coming in in the garage right. and there's no way the two can meet right so that's the first thing people have had this <laughs> thing about oh it'll affect my dna can't happen so the mrna is like a little messenger and it comes into the cell and it pops out of its little um, fatty coating and it feeds into the machinery of the cell and says make this protein. So it makes the spike protein. And the spike protein is the thing that allows the coronavirus to get into the body. Right. And once the body sees this spike protein, it says, oh gosh, this is not a good thing. And it decides to make antibodies. So mm. then it runs into gear and it starts making antibodies. And in fact, there are two parts of the immune system. There's the B cells, which make the bullets. What, what bullets? So they're the bullets, they're the antibodies right, okay. that kill the virus. Yeah. So the antibodies come out and they bind the virus. You can't just tip poison on viruses. It'll make a mess in the body. The, so the they're body, like killer fighters. The, well, they're like, no, these are like the bullets. So they basically, <laughs> they bind to the virus and they take it away and kill it. So they kind of, it's like a stun gun in a way. It's sort of, okay, I'm getting rid of this. Okay. And then the other thing that the mRNA causes to be developed are these T cells, which are like commandos that actually wrestle it and swallow it up and take it away. Okay. So what you're doing when you have a vaccine is you're running through this scenario. It's practice. It's like people go and do, um, you know, army manoeuvres where they practice fighting the bad guys. Mm. So you're doing this in advance without any damage. Like this spike protein can't hurt you. So if you don't have the vaccine and your body sees coronavirus for the first time, you're going to get really sick. But if you've had a vaccine, and particularly if you've had three doses, because your body's had three drills, three practice runs, 
when the virus comes to the front door, the body says, aha, we recognise you, you're mm-hmm. out of here. And you don't get sick. You might get a runny nose, but that's it. You don't go to hospital. And the people who do worst with coronavirus are the people who are over 65, who are perhaps got other medical problems, their immune system isn't working. And so for those people, it's particularly important to have their immune system practice. And they might need four or even five doses of vaccine Mm. to do that dry run so then when the virus comes to the front door, they can say, out of here. Now, I I can imagine, Deb, that some of our listeners here are the unvaccinated, and they could be saying, um, well, it's okay for Dr. Deb to say that because she's in the business of delivering the vaccines. Um, So I'm I'm asking you, I'm not saying you haven't, but to put on a hat in which with empathy for their perspective, um, is there a case for remaining unvaccinated or do you see that it's just vitally important that people understand the science and how vaccines operate because if you did, then there would be no decision. You'd, you'd get the vaccine. Well, look, the thing that is that, yes, yeah. I have had a lot of discussion with the people who are very hesitant about the vaccine. They don't really understand it. They don't. The media sometimes gives stories which are very disconcerting. You know, this vaccine's been developed in six months and every other vaccine took 10 years. That makes people understandably nervous. If I can sit with the person and answer their questions, I usually find that they will then understand and be very happy to have the vaccine. And you have the vaccine for two reasons. One is to protect yourself. And frankly, if you're 20, you're very unlikely to have a problem with coronavirus. Like you might get a bit sick, it's not the end of the world, and they're right, I'm not going to get that sick. But the problem is that you can spread it. You cannot be very sick and you can kill your grandmother. Mm. You can kill the little old lady who's at the shops. You can kill people who've got no ability to have the vaccine. There are people who can't be vaccinated or who may be vaccinated and it didn't work. Mm. You know, people who've had kidney transplants, liver transplants, cancer, but kids, at the moment in Australia, you can't vaccinate children. Mm. If you have an immunosuppressed child and you are the one who gave that virus to that child, how bad would that be? Sure. So you have it for two reasons. One is for your own self and the other is for the community. Now, there are people who get sick from the vaccine and they can't be vaccinated and they're the people who are trying to protect. But some of the people who have declined to have the vaccine have had one dose and then got really sick. So I can understand why they might be a bit hesitant. Mm. But the vaccine is not doing anything that your body is not completely designed by millions of years of evolution wow. to do. Mm. And people say, oh, I'm healthy, I won't get sick. Mm. Well, if you're healthy, we were talking about this about rabies, if you're healthy, the virus is very happy. It comes into this nice healthy system, it gets healthfully delivered to the central area, it healthfully infects your healthy cells and has a lovely time making lots and lots of copies of itself. So being healthy does not help some viruses, particularly rabies. Rabies, as healthy as you like, it will still kill you. Mm. There have been... Around about 50,000 cases of rabies a year in the world. Mm. There have been two people, three people who have actually survived rabies. Mm. These are not good odds. And a couple of doses of vaccine before you're bitten and you don't have to worry because your immune system wants to learn. It really wants to learn. The 
the vaccines and, 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 and our knowledge of the body is changing. For example, you mentioned rabies there before. I, I'm aware that there is some work being done to administer rabies in a very different way to how it's been administered in the past. Forgive me for saying so, sometimes when my participants go into Nepal or Africa, go along to their doctor or their travel doctor, maybe in Sydney or Melbourne, um, it's an $800 three-dose rabies vaccination. But there are changes and developments that are afoot. Absolutely. So one of the things that's happened is the World Health Organization has done lots of research and they found that two doses before you go is enough. Of rabies. Of rabies. Yeah. So instead of having three, which was $160 a dose, now two is enough. But even better, we know that the cells that actually deliver the immune system, the messages, are scattered through the body, but they're very densely scattered in the skin because people would get ant bites and bee stings and that's where the thing would come in and the body would have to deal with it. So if you can deliver the vaccine to the very top layer of the skin, you need a smaller dose wow. because the vaccine doesn't have, doesn't have to be as much because uh-huh. there are more cells there. And so you can give a third or a fifth of the dose and get the same result, which means that you don't have to pay for the whole vial. Wow. So instead of paying $160, if we get five doses out of a vial, it's a fifth. So you can get your two doses of rabies vaccine much, much more cheaply. How fascinating. I'm just finding it fascinating that, that, that there are these developments and, and, and these processes that continue to be evolving um, in order to um, help more people attain these medicines before they go away to these, uh, to these developing, developing countries. Absolutely. And I'm a big fan of intradermal vaccines. It's more technically difficult What's to What's intradermal give. mean? Sorry. Intradermal vaccine means you're giving the vaccine into the very top layers of the skin. Okay. So it's that micro dose. Yeah. And I'm a big fan of this because I see these people come into my clinic and say, oh, I can't afford $300 for a vaccine, mm. but I want them to be covered and protected. Mm. So we've been doing a lot of the research to actually see whether it proves that these vaccines still work when you give them in a micro dose. When you say we, is that you? Me and my clinic staff and we have a, um, a not a committee really, a, a collaboration if you like between the University of Queensland with various other researchers. We've got a statistician, we've got someone who helps with ethics approval. So we all work together. I come up with the idea and say let's do a study on this so we can make the Japanese encephalitis vaccine cheaper. Wow. And then we all work together and make it happen. And uh, it's quite a lot of work that, you know, mm. um, and, and thankfully we have very, very kind participants who actually offer their body for science. And it was interesting because we needed 50 participants for the Japanese encephalitis trial and no one wanted to apply. We had all the staff, all the friends, you know, like there was 11 people who I managed to rope in. When the outbreak happened in Australia just recently, there were cases we had people queuing at our door. We had our 50. <laughs> they understood why this was an important thing. What did you discover? Well, the data's not in yet, but so far it's really promising and everybody has made antibodies. Terrific. It's and terrific, this is from yeah. the intradermal. For the intradermal, so the micro dose of the vaccine. Wow. So instead of getting one dose out of a bottle, yeah. a little vaccine vial, mm. we get four or five. So much of our conversation so far has sort of like been upon the... Uh, dare I say it, the, the power of the disease, 
you know, the rabies and what it can do and Japanese encephalitis, etc. Can we dwell upon the, the body and, and the body's capacity to be able to uh, manage itself? Uh, I, I, I get the feeling that you can talk about the body as an incredible strong machine on the left hand, but on the right hand, it's a very delicate machine. Oh, Bernie, I don't think that they teach in schools well enough how incredibly fragile the body is. Like it's very robust and it will cope with a lot of stuff. But we hang on to this life by our tiniest little fingernails. Something can go wrong in any part of the body and we're gone. It's amazingly important that people look after their body as much as they can to give their body the best chance to progress through life comfortably, safely, happily. And there's a few things that people need to do. When, when people go overseas, what are they susceptible to? Now, I know they're susceptible to malaria, typhoid, cholera, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But is there one or two of those diseases that, that you're becoming aware of? It's just starting to impact too many. It, 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 it's becoming something that people have got to be aware of that you need to protect yourself against. Well, look, the big surprising thing that people don't think about, like they come in to see me and we talk about the vaccines, we talk about malaria, we talk about treating their diarrhoea and so on. But when they leave, I say to them, the single most important and most dangerous thing you have to know about is protecting yourself from motor vehicle traffic. <laughs> oh, you've seen the roads, Bernie. It's chaos. And the only patients that I've ever had die yeah. when they're travelling, have yeah. been in motor vehicle accidents. Oh. And it's not their fault. Like yeah. one lady was on a motorbike and she was taking it back because she thought, oh, this is too dangerous. A truck just ran into the back and, mm. and she's gone. Yeah. And there are people who've been on buses which have fallen off mountains and all sorts of things. So the rule for that is basically best driver, which is often not you because you don't know the roads, Best vehicle, which is not tuk-tuks or motorbikes, mm. and best time of day, mm. which is daytime. Mm. And being on a tour, like the tours that you run, Bernie, it's good because you've assessed everything. I was on a tour in Bhutan once and I actually checked the tyres of the vehicle and they were bald. And mm. I said, I'm not getting in this vehicle mm. because the roads in Bhutan are very yeah. windy. And I yeah. said, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to find yeah. another vehicle because yeah. we I was the, the head of the tour, so I could do that. Mm. Um, but I said, we can't get in this vehicle because the tyres are bald. Mm. That's a major health and safety issue that people probably don't even think of because Australia has incredibly good public health systems. We have rules about having good tyres and mm. um, we have railings so people don't fall off balconies. We have surrounds on pools. Mm. Australia has lots of public health infrastructure. Mm. That doesn't happen overseas. So people need to be alert to the fact that those accidents are not unexpected. What we experience here in Australia makes us blind yes, that's to a good the, way of the possibilities of, of overseas. I'm really, really thrilled to hear you say that because one of the things that I insist upon, for example, when I've got a, uh, a Jeep driver safari, um, a, a bus driver, you know, a supposed Nepalese highway, and I do speak to them very, very clearly before they depart, and I just say, you will not go over 90 kilometres per hour, um, and you'll be very, very reluctant to overtake 
the cars in front because I've I've just seen it how it's just something that they they do blindly and it's like playing chicken. It is. There is cars coming down the highway the other way and it's just who's who's going to give way first. Yeah. It is very scary. Oh. I have had patients who've said to me they they say to the taxi driver here is $20. If you don't speed and you drive slowly, you can have a tip of $20. Wow, I because like that. Because they're so worried about these crashes, particularly not so much in towns where it's, people are going at low speed, but yeah. once you get out on those highways. Yeah. Well, there it is, folks. You can go to Dr. Deb there, Adelaide Street, yeah. Brisbane, and get advice on the cars that you should be entering when you're in these countries, not only the, the, the vaccines that you need and the, uh, and the diseases that uh, you need to protect yourself against. That's uh, why we write the book, because there's so much information to give people. We honestly, you know, people can't absorb it anyway within a Have you got a chapter in the book about... Oh, absolutely. ...the, the road, yeah. road safety? Road safety. The <laughs> other one that's really interesting and underappreciated is methanol poisoning. I don't know if you've heard well, about no, methanol tell poisoning. Us about that. So methanol is what happens when you try and brew alcohol. Wow. So you brew the alcohol and sometimes it's contaminated with methanol. There was a young man who went to somewhere in Indonesia and he was having a nice New Year's Eve and he knew about methanol because it is something that travellers talk about. And he said to the guy, the bartender, is this genuine vodka? Oh, bartender said, oh, yeah, of course, you know, it comes in a good-looking bottle. Yeah. So he drinks this and afterwards he gets really sick and it was like a really bad hangover. And then he got sicker and sicker and he went to the hospital. No one knew where it was, what it was. Finally, they took him home to Australia and mm. they realised that he had methanol poisoning. Wow. And what was happening is people were brewing their own alcohol. Mm. When the vodka bottle was empty, they were mm. filling it up with this hooch mm. effectively and he basically was poisoned by mm. this methanol. So mm. it's like having a super, super hangover. Interestingly, the treatment is alcohol because the alcohol <laughs> displaces the methanol. The methanol, what it's doing, it's breaking down into formaldehyde in the body so you're pickling yourself from the inside. Uh-huh. It's horrendous. And in countries where alcohol is banned, the, the doctors have to have these bottles with vodka with kind of a new label put on saying, you know, methanol poisoning treatment because mm. they're not allowed to have alcohol because, mm. A, people might steal it, but, B, it's not allowed. Mm. And methanol has killed lots of people in various outbreaks. Mm. And so when people travel, it's really important that they don't drink spirits unless perhaps they brought them with them duty-free. Beer is fine, and I'm sure you've heard stories about people having their drinks spiked. Sure. Um, so people need to watch their drinks. But yeah. you wouldn't expect that the you know, vodka and orange that you had mm. is going to be a life-threatening event. Absolutely, yeah. And so these sort of things have to go in the book because we don't yeah. have time to tell people all this yeah. stuff. Yeah, wonderful. You cover such a wide range of safeties and protections uh, for when we're going overseas. Deb, we're, we're dwelling um, a fair bit on the delicacy of the body. I'm hearing this come through that it could just take a you know a single incident, a single germ, and to be aware, folks, that this can you know really affect the body. Can we dwell upon the other side of it? You know, the the, the amazing capacity of the body, the um, this the strength of the body. This is an incredible machine, isn't oh, it? Oh, it is. It is amazing. It's kind of even more than a machine. It's incredibly complicated, but it has the ability to cope. And if you throw all sorts of things at it. It will manage. But eventually, eventually it will crack up. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, if you smoke, 
you get damage to your air passages, but you've got a lot of capacity and people can smoke for years and still feel, you know, okay. But eventually, eventually, instead of having at 60 years of age the lungs of a 60-year-old, you'll have the lungs of a 90-year-old and you won't be able to get out of bed. Mm. That's aside from the whole risk of cancer. Um, if people look after themselves and drink lots of water and eat a careful diet and get lots of exercise, the body is much more able to do its thing. That's what it's designed for. You can't avoid the design specifications of your body. Mm. It would be like putting, you know, oil in a Ferrari. Mm. You just don't do it. Mm. Mm. So let's dwell upon upon that because you're saying it's it's born with an ter- unbelievable capacity to cope. But I think I just heard if we look after it rightly, we strengthen that capacity. So let's dwell upon, for example, water consumption. Just even on a day-to-day basis, you know, in and around our cities here in Australia or wherever you're listening, what's a, what's a standard water consumption and why do we need that amount of water per day? Well, look, your whole body is water. It's about 70% water. And, of course, it's constantly being circulated through the body. It needs more water to replace perspiration, to replace what has to be flushed. When you, when you use your kidneys or when the kidneys get used, they flush out poisons using water. So you have to give it plenty of water to allow that flushing to occur. Mm. In your bowel, you need a little bit of water. In your immune system, everything needs water. If you don't have enough water... Things just don't work as well. They did studies on elite skiers and they found that being 5% dehydrated resulted in a 15% decrease in their capacity to, you know, get good times and so on, perform, yeah. 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 So it really does affect your performance Mm. and people will get cramps, they'll get headaches. Um, It it just – people sometimes run – chronically dehydrated mm. they don't even realize how dehydrated they are mm. and of course i'm i always carry water because you never know when mm. you need it but it's really important that people have enough water so that they're actually you know passing urine it's very hard to say exactly how much water you need and there used to be this recommendation eight glasses of water a day and you know i think that's probably a working guide. It's good enough as any. If you have a lot of coffee, then you probably need a bit more water because that dehydrates you a little bit. But water is essential. So the coffee doesn't replace the water? I mean, coffee's got water in it. It has, but it's got a tendency to dehydrate you because of the caffeine. Mm. It makes you urinate. Mm. Um, so for every glass of coffee, you probably should have a bit of water as well. Okay. That's why in, in um, coffee shops, you know, you've got the water there. You should try and drink mm. the water with it. So, for example, how much water would you drink per day or do you look to drink per day? Um, I would say I would have about eight cups a day or thereabouts. But I, I don't really quantify it. I just have it with me all the sure. time. Yeah. They've actually shown that it's not good to just have a big glass of water. Okay. You're better off to have little bits all through the day. Sipping through than the try, day. Yeah. If you're thirsty, you have a drink yeah. rather than try and have, you know, a litre mm. at a time. Mm. If, I, if I said two litres... In a day, is that yeah. is that a reasonable? I think that's reasonable. And, and I, one litre is not enough. I assume it varies between your body mass. For example, a, a big one hundred kilogram man might need a little bit more than a fifty year old boy or, or young lady. Absolutely, and also it depends on the ambient temperature. If it's a very hot day, or mm. if you're sitting inside and the heating's on, mm. you're going to lose more water yeah. than if you're. You know, lying in bed yeah. asleep. Now, we won't quote you on this, but if I asked you for minimum amount per day, 
on a general average day, what do you believe mm. we should all be consuming? Oh, gosh. One, one and a half. Oh, I think two litres is a good amount. Two litres, yeah. yeah. And I think a glass is about 250 mils. It's about, it? yeah. yeah. So, I, so we're talking about eight, your eight glasses. About is, eight glasses. Is probably is, on, is, the, on, on the market. It's as good a guide as any. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, when we go overseas, of course, with uh, water consumption, we need to be aware. Any golden rules there? We need our two litres a day. If we're walking in altitude, Absolutely. We need even more. Um, but what are your water rules when going over, overseas to other countries? Look, I think the most important thing is to have access to clean water so that mm. you can drink as you need. There's a tendency to think, I don't want to have to pass urine, I don't want to use the bathrooms, so people will run a bit dehydrated, which is not great because mm. you're trying to fight off all the atmospheric effects, all the diarrhoea germs, everything else. Um, having clean water is really essential. Mm. Be very careful, you know, those people that sell bottled water outside yeah. the monuments and they've just filled it up from the tap and yeah. put the lid on, that's always a worry. Yeah. Um, having the right filtration system, there's lots of systems nowadays which can allow you to have clean water. Um, but I think the most important thing is to think of it. Mm. We, we say to people sometimes, have a two-litre bo- two bottle of water and just drink that progressively through the day. And sure. so you know at the end of the day yeah. you've had your two litres. Yeah. Water purification tablets, is it still iodine tablets that it you is, recommend? It is, but there's better now. Yeah. Water purified by iodine tastes pretty it does. dreadful. Yeah. And you can add vitamin C powder wow. to take away the, that iodine-y taste. Yeah. But they now have bottles which have straws in them with the iodine. So you just drink it through the straw and it purifies the water. You have the um, ultraviolet light filters. So iodine tablets are good if you have to wash a wound, Mm. if you've got to wash utensils, you want clean water. Mm. But it's not great for drinking. Mm. Deb, let's go to what we eat. Oh, yes. Now, I I, I think I I picked up before earlier in the conversation, I, I think... Folks, we have a doctor here who, despite what she does on a daily basis in terms of doses and vaccines and diseases and and medicines, but I think we've got a very holistic doctor here uh, as well. So strengthening the body, you spoke about before, what we consume, foods that we eat, this is really, really, really important? Absolutely critically important, essential. If you feed your body with rubbish, you're not going to get the performance that you want out of this amazing body that we have. Mm. And it's interesting that in the last 20 years or so, there was this big criticism of fat. Oh, you can't have fat. Fat's really bad. Fat's what lines ourselves. We need fat. Fat is not necessarily evil. Too much fat, too much of anything's not a good Mm. thing. But when they reanalyzed the data that this original guidance was based on, they found that it wasn't the fat, it was the sugar. Mm-hmm. And so public enemy number one, really, in terms of diet, is sugar. And we, we find that in a when we buy sugar. Do, do, where else do we no, find it's, sugar? It's, the thing is, there's a wonderful movie that if people haven't seen, I can highly recommend. It's called That Sugar Film. Netflix, Stan? Ooh. Can't remember. Can't remember. It's, okay. a, it's a while yeah. ago, and it that basically sugar. that sugar film. Okay, that sugar film, and they tell you how much 
for uh, how much is in various products. So Coca-Cola is about 12 teaspoons of sugar and so on. And sauces that you buy to put with your chicken have got lots of sugar. And there's a scene in the movie where he puts all this sugar as if it was the sauce and he eats this chicken with this sugar granules flying everywhere. (laughs) There's a table full of all the sugar. And if you start looking at the contents of your packaged food, there's enormous amounts of sugar Mm. in there. And sugar... Cause it sugar gets into the body and the body tries to get rid of it. It doesn't want to have too much sugar floating in the bloodstream. Mm. So it releases a chemo- chemical called insulin. Yeah. And insulin pulls down the sugar level and puts the sugar into the liver, puts it into other parts of the body and tries to get rid of it so that your sugar level stays at about five or six. If your sugar level gets up to 10, that's when diabetes occurs mm. and that makes the body not work very well. You weigh too much the sugar starts to damage your internal organs, it damages the blood vessels, damages your eyes. Mm. It's very bad for you. Now, the pancreas makes the insulin. If you are constantly feeding sugar into your body in the various forms, your pancreas is simply going to wear out. Mm. And that's why a lot of people get diabetes as they get older because they're too heavy Mm. and they've worn out their pancreas Mm. and it just cannot cope anymore you know, this poor little pancreas, it's struggling valiantly to get rid of all this sugar and it just eventually packs it in. Mm. And then there's, and then you've got to be taking tablets, which, you know, that's not good. Yeah. But the other thing that they've found is insulin is connected with repair. And if you constantly tip food, any food, into your body, you don't get to do the repair that you need. And this is behind a lot of the new information about fasting. And the recommendation, I see a lot of people come from medicals. They're going on work projects, the food there isn't great, and they've put on, you know, 20 kilos. And I say, if you do one thing for me after this medical, try and incorporate 16-hour fasts Mm -hmm. three or four times a week. Wow. Now, it's not that hard to do Mm -hmm. because you basically have your dinner at sort of six or seven. Mm -hmm. Dinners are really important. We love sitting with our friends, sitting with our family, having a nice meal, if you've got to sit there with the letters, it's just not going to work. It's not sustainable in the long term. But if you have your nice dinner and then you say, I'm just not going to eat until lunch the next day, yeah. like you skip breakfast. Breakfast is a con because Kellogg's wanted people to eat breakfast. So mm. they said, oh, we've got to eat breakfast, really mm. important, most important meal of the day. That is a crock of rubbish. If you can have you know, 16 hours between your dinner and the, bre- and the lunch the next day, You give your body a chance to repair. Wow. Repair means decreasing cancer. Repair means everything functions better. All the rubbish that your metabolic processes generate get a chance to repair Mm. because the insulin is is not constantly tipping into your blood to try and get rid of all the sugar. And it's such a shame because people often eat very tiny breakfasts. They don't eat very much. Mm. If you have a cup of coffee or a cup of tea with a tiny bit of milk, that still counts as a fast. Mm. If you can do it every day, even better. Mm. And it does two things. It loses the weight Mm. and it gets your repair mechanisms Mm. working. So it's a tremendously powerful thing, backed by science, Mm. to have this 16-hour fast. So so what i got going in the back of my mind at the moment is, is Bernie, get your act together, eight glasses of water, I've got a couple of litres of water that I need to consume uh, each day. Um, I've got sugar with a big red cross over it. Keep on looking at the brands, um, the labels, and how much sugar am I consuming. Dilute that, dilute that, dilute that. And now you're throwing in intermittent fasting. 
Um, and, and what you've recommended there is, is that after dinner, which could be all over by seven o'clock, if you can then last that seven to 12, that's five hours plus another 11 midday the next day for, for a lunch, then this is going to ignite a process in the body that is going to do a heck of a lot of repair work and, and replenishment work and really prepare our body more strongly. But you said that two or three, maybe four times a week. If someone is a good weight, and look, you and I are not overweight, so it's not so critical, um, but you'd still, it's still a good idea to do mm. it three times a week. Mm. Um, if you're very overweight, you might want to do it more often. Mm. And people always say to me, I couldn't skip breakfast. But if you can be busy, mm. if you get up, if you plan the night before, what are you going to get up and do? Often people just shovel a bit of food when they go off to work. Well, just skip that step mm. and just plan for a really nice lunch. Mm. You know, maybe if you want to fiddle with food, make yourself a nice lunch to take into work or whatever. Um, it is very, very beneficial. But what would you say, for example, to a lot of the single people who, who are out there and, and they may decide that they'll have breakfast, they'll have a good lunch, and then maybe they realise that they don't really need, they're pretty full from the day, so I'll skip dinner. That's okay that too. That works too. That yeah, absolutely yeah, works as yeah. well, yes. And that would be like a, a two o'clock stop. Uh, so go to midnight, that's 10 hours, and add on six, six then, you're waking up at six o'clock mm. next morning, you're having mm. breakfast by eight. Mm. So mm. there's that opportunity as well. Absolutely. Um, so repair work. What about sleep? Oh, my gosh. Now, is this... Overrated, underrated. There's plenty of people that I know that said, "Oh, I can survive on you know five hours sleep." Um, is that good long term? Survive is the word. You're not going to die. But they've done lots of work on sleep now. In fact, not sleeping, your little immune system stops functioning as well. Wow, that can't be good. Yeah, and people need around about seven to eight hours. Everybody is slightly different. As you get older, you need a little bit less sleep. Mm -hmm. But sleep is underrated. Often people think, oh, how important is it? You know, mm. I can get by without the sleep. I'll be okay. But your performance, if you were able to measure it, and people do in labs, it's down. It makes a big difference. And mm. the sleep you get before midnight is probably more useful. Yeah. You need to have a big bunch of ability to sleep so that you can go into that deep sleep where you get the memory yeah. laid down, the kind of the brain has a lot of sorting to do in the night. If you don't allow that to happen, you don't remember things, you don't learn as well. We all need to learn better. We all need to try and remember things better. Sleep is a single most useful thing you can do to help your brain function better as so, well as exercise and diet. Yeah, you know? sure, sure. I suppose it also helps if you don't consume food after that last dinner, like if dinner finishes at 7, for example, and you go to bed by 10, there's a three-hour gap there of non-consumption of food. I'm imagining that if the body can go to bed, go to sleep, and I know it's turning over that food from dinner, mm, but mm. it doesn't need another meal at 10 o'clock, does no, it? No, no. And, of course, you don't want to go to bed with a really full stomach because yeah. you might be more likely to get reflux when you lie flat, the food might come back, mm. um, cause problems. And you don't want to be putting energy into digestion when you're sleeping. It's mm. better, if you can, to have a couple of hours. Yeah. What, what, what about 
alcohol. Most, for most people, if there's going to be alcohol consumption, it's likely, likely to be perhaps nighttime. Um, it's a weekend as we speak and people are going out and they could be having big nights. What effect or impact does alcohol have on the functioning of the body? I'm not just talking about you know, the once every three months bender. I'm talking about what if it's constant? So we absolutely need at least two alcohol-free days a week or it is incredibly bad for you. Um, alcohol is a cell poison. It's a bit like the puffer fish poison that the Japanese eat. If you just have a little bit, it's probably okay. If you have it constantly, your liver has to develop enzymes to try and break down this poison. Mm. And so I think alcohol should be very special occasions. Um, and if you're having a glass of wine with your dinner five nights a week, it's not the end of the world. But it is a cell poison and it will interfere with your ba- the way that your body can metabolise things to function. Um, it isn't the greatest thing for you. And so if you're going to drink alcohol, it should be something that you say, right, I'm prepared, I want this alcohol, it's part of a special occasion. It shouldn't be something that you just do to de-stress or to, um, to just have without thinking. Wind down. Wind yeah. down, yeah. that's right. Yeah. Tea is much better to wind down mm. because... It will help you feel better and help mm. your body function better. Mm. It's got to be used very judiciously. And this business of having, you know, nights where you have 10 doses and yeah. you get really sick, I mean, we've all done it. I've done it too. Um, it's just not good for your system at all. Mm. It's not good for your brain. It's not good for any of the systems. Like the risk of breast cancer goes up if mm. you drink a lot of alcohol. Well, yeah. yeah. So alcohol is got to be used very judiciously. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's probably nothing here that, that, that a lot of people perhaps haven't heard, but I think what's interesting here is the collective power of, for example, if your habit was seven hours of sleep, if it was bed by 10, if there was intermittent fasting over three days uh, a week, if there was two litres of water per day, collectively... These things working together and stimulating the best of the body Absolutely. allows the body to be strengthened. And I would assume, in some cases, add years to life. I think so. We're still working on getting the data. I guess the other thing we should mention, Bernie, is the type of food that you eat. And, of course, the plant-based diet is very beneficial to people. A little bit of meat now and again is not the end of the world, but... Basically, you should have less packaged food and more plants, more vegetables, more fruit. Meals which don't have to have meat with them are very beneficial to your body. And so Mm. there's a big move to vegan food, to vegetarian food. And the background is that people who have a lot of meat have a higher risk of bowel cancer. You know, it's kind of, I feel depressing because people listen to this podcast and, you know, here I am saying, don't do this, don't do that, don't do that. But if you think about it, what you want, is to be as healthy as possible. So you can go out and, you know, do your mission, find the thing that really turns you on, mm. help the planet, make the world a better place. Mm. And you can't do that if mm. you're not well. And if you – people get really expert as they get older. You know, people's ability to understand the world increases every mm. year that they're alive. And if they lose the last 20 years of their life because they just didn't understand about how to look after their body – 
because they've got bad schooling or whatever. It's such a shame. You know, people are most productive when they can help others and when they understand the world. And if you don't get those years because you've got sick, it's just a waste. It is a waste. It's a, it's a waste of a prime time of, of life. And, and, and for those that are perhaps listening to this and thinking that it's the bearer of bad news, geez, I've got to cut back on meat you mentioned before. Oh, my God, that alcohol that I'm, I'm drinking, I need to cut back on that. Why, why is it bad news? Why isn't it good news about I've got this incredible gift called a body that can do remarkable things? It's the greatest machine ever invented. It's the only one that I know that can replenish itself if it gets injured. It can actually repair itself. Mm. Um, What other machine does that? If we actually looked after it, I think science says that it could perhaps last a 100 and plus years. Um, So... It's it's a remarkable machine, and we've got one. Mm. So let's look after the Ferrari, and and that means the joy of serving it Absolutely. <laughs> with fruit and veggies and the water. I, I'm not quite sure. I see what the problem is if you love the gift or the machine that you've got. It's yeah. about thinking the bigger picture. And the like bigger that. picture is like more that. than the moment of eating. You know, p- people say, oh, don't you want to have a bit of this cheesecake? And, you know, I eat cheesecake occasionally. Um, but it's more important for me to know that I'm healthy than to have the joy of five minutes of a cheesecake sure. because I know that the cheesecake's going to, you know, push up my insulin yeah, levels and yeah, cause problems. Yeah. So I think it's about people having the bigger picture, people understanding how precious this life is, how there is such a wow. great opportunity to do things to make the world a better place. Yeah. And you need to have a healthy body in order I to do that. I love that, Deb. I, I mean, forgive me, given all that we've spoken about, that last minute there about people being aware of the bigger picture. We are in the game of life. We get this, dare I say, once-in-a-lifetime opportunity yeah, exactly. called life. You know, and therefore, let's maximise it. So become aware that the, the body is an incredible machine. Let's service it effectively because we want to. And Joyfully the, we want to oh, so gosh. it can prolong itself. Look, and the other thing I think that people sometimes forget is there's a lot of people around everyone. Each individual person has people around them that love them, that care for them. They're going to be devastated when they die. You know, if you can stay alive a bit longer, it puts off that day. Mm. You know, I I look at people and I think, you know, my mum, my mum is not great at you know, diet sometimes. And I think, <laughs> I want you to be around. You know, this is, I don't want you to be sick. <laughs> And so everyone has an internal responsibility to look after themselves so they don't make other people upset when they go. But they won't see that responsibility unless they're aware of the bigger picture. The bigger picture, absolutely. It's not just a meal. It's what I do today affects who I am three months down the the track. It's how if I constantly eat processed foods, then expect in five years to have problem. It's what I do today. Today I need to be aware of the bigger picture. Absolutely. And it's also, Bernie, about being grateful, being incredibly grateful for, you know, the friends you have, the life you have, the work, the service that you can do. And knowing that that is incredibly important and magnificent. Yeah. It's not worth throwing all that away, all that kind of specialness and importance 
for the sake of a cream bun, for the sake of a piece of cheesecake or a crappy <laughs> bit of Coca-Cola. Mm. Arteriosclerosis, Deb, heart disease, you know, you, you, we can't avoid reading about it. It's, it's prevalent. One of the and biggest killers of Australia is heart disease. It, it, I'm telling you, Bernie, when people are lying in their intensive care ward with tubes and drips and they've had this incredible pain and they've got doctors, instead of going about their normal day, they're suffering being in a hospital, which is not a nice experience really, despite lovely hospitals we have in this country. Suddenly they get it and they say, I think I might just get some more exercise, watch my diet, drink more fluid, get some sleep. How bad that it has to get to that point before they learn the lesson. Because they didn't have the bigger picture. They didn't have the bigger picture. And a lot of men I see, with the greatest respect, they're so busy worrying about their families and being the breadwinner and all this pressure from society to achieve. But if they don't look after themselves, if they don't put health up their list, you know, they've got all these things on their list, but health is right at the bottom because they think, oh, you know, I've got to do all... They can't do anything if health is at the bottom of the list because Mm. they won't be there Mm. to look after their family, to see their kids and their grandkids. You're you're reminding me, Deb, my son had some wonderful successes in the gym industry uh, recently, um, F45, um, a number of other of these gym franchises. He's become the fitness champ um, a few times, you know. And uh, I remember him saying to me one morning, Dad, it's all about people recognising that they've got to either win the morning or win the afternoon. I said, what do you mean? He says, well... If traditionally you go to work between, you know, eight, half past eight and five, it's what you do before half past eight. There's got to be some exercise. If it's not going to be then, it's got to be after five. And unless you win those parts of the day, there's every chance that you don't create the habit Mm. of the exercise on a daily, weekly, monthly basis in order to be in that prime condition years down the track. Mm. Mm. Got in the back of my mind another subject of intervention into our bodies that, that I think has to be mentioned. And we're all aware that on a Friday night, it doesn't even have to be a Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night, go to the nightclubs. Our young people can be attracted to, dare I say, the ice, the ecstasy, the cocaine, etc., etc. Assumedly, I don't know medically um, whether this is right, assumedly they're all addictive substances. Can you make a comment, please, about the value of the consumption of those drugs and how do they affect the body, maybe short-term and long-term? Look, I think the first thing is people need to <clears throat> have that bigger picture. So, as you said, is this going to clog me or cleanse, uh, me. Or cleanse yeah. me? Um One of the problems with a lot of these drugs is they're not regulated. And there are now places where you can actually go outside nightclubs, not in Australia yet, um, and have your pill tested to make sure that it's just got in it what you think it is. Mm. Because sometimes people can get very sick from the fact that there's too much or too little or something else has been added to the actual medication. Mm. Um, so that's one of the problems, that people are not getting what they think. The other problem is that the reason you feel so different, so amazing when you have these drugs is because they swamp your brain chemicals. 
your brain has got receptors for a lot of this sort of thing and it swamps it and so everything fires off and you feel kind of different. But the body responds by saying, oh, there's a lot of that stuff around. We can switch off our own supply. We don't need to make it. We've got to be very efficient with our resources. If all these chemicals are coming in, we can switch off our own. Wow. So when the person stops taking that drug the next day or, you know, particularly if they're taking them on a regular basis, they haven't got any chemicals in their brain and they feel terrible. Mm. And so that is effectively what addiction is. Addiction is the lack of that chemical so that you have to have some more to feel normal. Now, let's go over that again because what I heard you say is, and I'm, I'm making this up now, someone takes a dose of ecstasy, ice or cocaine in whatever form or shape that comes and it sets off this, this, this chemical release which excites the brain and gives the fix, whatever that looks like, but in the process, it shuts down parts of the body that then get used to being shut down. And therefore, in the days that follow, in, in days of supposed normality, those parts of the body aren't working and operating as they should. And therefore, for the body to find some equilibrium, it needs the ice and the ecstasy and the cocaine again? Yes. And it's a simplification, of course, but that's the way it works. That's why people get addicted. That's why when people stop the drug for whatever whatever the drug is, um, particularly the really, really addictive drugs like heroin, yeah. they go down and they feel shaky, they feel nauseous, they vomit, they get the DTs, um, mm. or not the DTs because it's alcohol, but they feel terrible. Mm. In fact, I had a friend who was working in the quarantine hotels mm. and there were people coming in to the country or being locked down and they couldn't get access to their drugs. And so they were going through withdrawal symptoms in this lockdown COVID environment. Wow. It was a terrible problem mm. because then they needed medications to sort of help them get through this mm. withdrawal process. Mm. Mm. So, you know, I know it's really important to have a community and sometimes the community of the young is full of people who are using this drug. You want to be part of the community. Community is one of the most important things for longevity. As humans, we love having friends and family and getting on with them. We don't want to appear a wacko amongst our friends and family. And so there's this incredible social pressure to take these medications. Yeah. And it's just not good. And it, and it's not easy to say no. choose wisely. No. Your friends when we're talking about, you know, someone who's who's young and just starting to learn of their identity and their, yes. their game yeah. of life. So we appreciate the uh the, the challenge of all that. But at the same time, be aware, be aware of that community and uh, be aware that there may be other people that might just serve your interests um, a little more effectively. Does that make sense? Look, it's very difficult. There's no simple answers no. to complicated problems, is yeah. there? And probably the people listening to this podcast are not the group that are maybe... Um, yeah. using those kind of medications frequently. But, uh, look, it's very bad to affect your body in this way. Mm. I'm not going to muck around. I, for those that actually provide the drugs, you know, I hope they're listening to the podcast because 
you know, what the heck are you contributing to society? You know, what, what is your uh, bigger picture? Yes. <laughs> um, except one of self-absorption and I assume the financial benefits that you believe that you gain from the provision of such nonsense. Yeah. It is such an, there's mm. so many there are so many problems in the world that need to be solved just to make the world a better place is good and to make it worse by giving people these medications mm. it just breaks my heart it it seems to be appropriate therefore as we leave that topic and and to go to mental health now when i'm i'm saying the word mental health here um i'm talking about um how how do people escape these stresses and these strains are there are there processes are there are there things that they can learn to do so that they can control um, refine mold shape their mind so their mind doesn't place these pressures on them look the first thing people are really surprised about eating junk food makes you depressed so elaborate Eating junk food, if you have a diet full of rubbish, yeah. you brain, your brain will not work as well. How does that, how does that happen? Everything just doesn't function. You're right. not getting the chemicals you need to yeah. be able to build new cells, to build the little chemicals that you need. People just feel bad. Yeah. If you eat better, you'll find that your mood improves. Wow. So the first thing that you do is try and look wow. at your physical health because that improves your mental health. Yeah. Now, there are people who've had shocking, terrible, awful things happen disastrous things and their mental health is suffering as a result of that you need to seek help there's no shame in seeking help and the beyond blue program saying you know how are you going go and get help there are lots of doctors who really want to help we live to help people we love people to come to us with their problems that we can help and there are lots of facilities in brisbane in australia to help people get through these mental health problems. Mm. There's no really simple answer to that. But remembering that your brain is a tool and that you can train your brain to think in a certain way. And meditation and, you know, uh, positive thinking and stuff helps a bit. Mm. So there are lots of tools that people can use and it's not really, we can't go into all that sort of detail today, but being healthy, seeking help and you know, leaning on your friends and your family who yeah. love it. Like I have I have a friend who um, he didn't lean on anybody yeah. and committed suicide. Mm. You know, it was mm. just so unbelievably mm. tragic. Mm. Have, you read the, have you read the Book of Joy? Do you no, know, you, no, no. The Book of Joy by Douglas Abrams, A-B-R-A-M-S, in which he interviews the Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu together who, who came – to Darashama in India on the occasion of the Dalai Lama's 80th birthday. Oh, yeah, how sweet. Yeah. And um, in the, they announced to Douglas A. Brahms, come to breakfast every morning because you're writing a book. <laughs> he said, what am I writing a book on? And he said, you're writing a book on joy, the, the outcome of joy. And I can't share with you what page it is, but it's an absolutely wonderful paragraph where the Dalai Lama says, one of the greatest gifts every single person has but rarely used is the gift of perspective. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? It is, it is. He's saying, he says, you're in an issue, you've got a problem, there's a challenge in front of you, but if you stand or go outside of yourself 
and you look from afar down upon that problem and you see it in the context of a longer period of time, half of the issues start to dilute because mm. you just start to realise this is only momentary, this is only today, it might be even a week, but it's not a month, it's not, it's not a year, it's not 10 years in, in a lot of those cases. So the gift of perspective I think it's the same thing we were Absolutely. talking about before, seeing the bigger picture. No? And and having – people sometimes get rest, – they wrestle with decisions. Yeah. Like they're really trying to decide, should I do this or do this? But if you get a bit of perspective, sometimes the decision is actually something else. Yeah. And so having that ability to have perspective is very difficult when you're stuck. When you're stuck in there. Absolutely. And yeah. that's where friends, family, yeah. books – all these other things, podcasts yeah, like this, yeah, just helps you to step back and say, yeah. well, actually, is this the most important thing? Mm. You know, do I need to have, I don't know, um, cosmetic surgery? Mm. Or would it be better just to think about the fact that my nose is too big and I'm going to just enjoy that? There's people <laughs> who have big noses, you know, if they don't like it, too bad, you know, whatever. Yeah, um, yeah. So having that ability to have perspective, I think, is it's difficult. Yeah, it and is it, difficult. And it needs to have a – that's where having helpers is really good. Yeah, but it's a, it's a desired gift and, and we, have, we have that gift. Mm. We can call upon mm. perspective. Mm. We have that mm. capacity mm. but maybe not as utilised as, uh, or developed so as, as, we, uh, as, as we should. Um. 53 countries, name three experiences that if you had a group of people here – and you said, they said, three experiences, Deb, that you've had and that you think everybody should have, what are they, Deb? Gosh, look, I am very blessed and I know everyone can't have these experiences, but the top one would be Antarctica. Yeah, why? Antarctica is a very special place because it is untouched, as it were, by yeah. the normal mass of kind of tourism. You go down there on this boat, which is pretty rough, you know, the seasickness is a bit of an issue. But you get out, you're only allowed to go ashore for two hours. You're not allowed to take water. There's no bathrooms, anything. You go ashore and the animals are not frightened because they've never had anyone kind of monstering mm. them. So you go out into this white, quiet, beautiful environment and you think, imagine the planet when the whole planet was like this, wow. when there were animals everywhere it really then they say once you've been to antarctica you are an incredible advocate for the importance of that that continent mm. and i really i would agree with that mm. it is a magnificent trip you've mm. never seen anything like it you know the icebergs they give you these wonderful lectures about the medical advances that have come as a result of the chemicals down mm. there it's mm. um it's very special and they have apparently boats normally maybe not at the moment, going half empty. And mm. if you go to Ushuaia, which is right down the bottom of um, South America, and you wait, you can often get on these boats for half price, wow. which would be just fantastic because it's yeah. horribly expensive mm. um, to get down there. But it is just a gift to see these animals mm. just living in their normal environment, you know, mm. walking past you. They're just not worried. Mm. Hey, that's one country. That's I said one country. three. Okay. I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll cut it back to two. Okay. Give okay. us a second. Number two is Bhutan. Wow. The country where gross national happiness is more important than gross national product. Yeah. They have beautiful people, beautiful food, beautiful way of looking at the world. When you enter the country, they look at your bag for cigarettes because you're not allowed to bring cigarettes in. You're allowed to smoke, but you just can't bring them in. 
they say things like, I said, well, do you have any lawyers? They said, well, we don't really need lawyers. We just kind of work it all out if we, if we need to. The king, who is loved, loved, loved by his people, he said one day, we need to be a democracy. So he resigned. Everyone said, no, don't resign. We love you. He said, no, no, we need to be a democracy. And so he set it all up in a very controlled and organised fashion so that then they're a democracy. Uh-huh. He saw what happened in Tibet with the terrible problem with the Chinese and the yeah. Dalai Lama. He said, we need to have friends so everyone will learn English. So yeah. when you go wandering, you can talk to people because everyone speaks English. Mm. And we went to visit schools. I went with my children. We had a... Um, a conference there, which I helped organise because I love Bhutan, and I took my kids to the schools and they were about eight or ten or something, mm. and they came away completely changed. Mm. When we left, I said to my kids, now we are with all my friends and my colleagues, you are not to squabble because they were always squabbling, you know, <laughs> two girls always squabbling, and they never squabbled again. They mm. actually didn't squabble while they were away and mm. they got into the habit of not squabbling. They went to the school and they sat there quietly listening to all the Bhutanese children who didn't talk back to their teachers who mm. were very polite, and they said it was amazing. Mm. And they were just really affected by seeing a different culture. Mm. And the Bhutanese culture is very Buddhist. It's very gentle, lots of laughter. Um, it's, the, the roads are incredibly windy, you know, six bends per kilometre or something, and yet the drivers are very polite. They just let people go. There's no... There's not the rushing, the violence. It's just a beautiful culture. Mm. Unfortunately, it's now opening up to the world. The The place was shut until not so long ago. And even now, in order to go to Bhutan, you need to pay about $200 a day in mm. order to go there because they don't want to be swamped. They don't mm. have the facilities to do that. Um, but just seeing the way they interact with their king, mm. interact with their friends, um, they... They have special clothing that they always wear, mm. but on the weekends they don't have to wear it. Mm. You know, then they'll go into jeans, and they have this wonderful way of looking at the world. It mm. just was really yeah. invigorating. Yeah. Well, Deb, I'm. I I told you before I, I wasn't going to wind down the podcast, but I think we do have reached a, a moment <laughs> where uh, we might start to to wind things uh, wind things down. Um, what I have gained from this wonderful discussion and from your incredible expertise is just appreciating the delicateness of the body um, and how if we don't look after it and strengthen it and maintain it, um, it, can be, um, it, it can be severely damaged so easily. If we constantly abuse it, then we're asking ourselves to lose potentially years of life. And you gave us some incredible strategies um, and, and processes and routines and habits to consider that can add terrific value to our, our bodies and therefore our lives. I want to I want to pose this to you as a as a finale. You did mention earlier on about education and that the education of the body and looking after it is perhaps missing. Imagine a world in which, at primary school level, maybe beyond, a child leaves schools 
primary, maybe end secondary, end of secondary school. And they are fully aware of, I call it the miracle of the body, you know, four trillion bacteria in a bowel turn a sandwich into what you deliver the next day to a toilet. I've forgotten how many times the heart beats in a single lifetime of 80 years without stopping. Like, hello, how incredible is Mm -hmm. that? Mm -hmm. And then there is that wonderful metaphor where you take out all the veins and the arteries and the capillaries of your body and you tie them all up, supposedly they go around the earth twice. I'm talking about even your body, Deb, and I can't say that, you know, you're, 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 you're full of, uh, you know, lots and lots of excess. Um, even a thin body, it's incredible the amount of capillaries and, and, and how it all works together. You were talking mm. about the immune system. Mm. How is it that we can develop greater love for life if we don't start with honouring the gift, mm. the gift of, of our body? Um, someone once alluded to me recently that, well, that came from our parents. Well, I sort of like suggested to them they seeded it. And perhaps they managed it while we were growing up as infants. But there does come a stage where we are responsible mm. for the maintenance, mm. the strengthening and the value of the gift. If you can't love the Ferrari and you're going to scratch it and you're going to abuse it, how do you love other things and other Mm. people and Mm. other life? Mm. Bernie philosophy, can I get a response to that? Does it resonate with you? What are you thinking as you you listen to that? Look, I I absolutely agree. I, I mean, we've talked about that during this podcast. It's... It's absolutely essential, first step. And it's not about being selfish because we always have to struggle against selfishness. You know, the Buddhists talk about why selfishness and people say, oh, you know, worrying about yourself. Well, I don't think it is excessive. I think that, you know, maybe it's worrying about it if you spend a fortune on, you know, fancy hairdos or fancy clothes yeah. and that sort of stuff. But it's amazing how many people do that. They're not looking after their body. Yeah. You see these people with highly expensive clothing and hairdos and yeah. they, you know, their body looks terrible, mm. um, which is just, it's insane. It's insane. <laughs> yeah. um, it doesn't, no one's fooled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so education. I think education is absolutely critical and I would love to see them be more education but also just if you had kids exercising at school every day every single day not twice a week but every single day even the ones who weren't great at sport even the ones who weren't really very sporty then you wouldn't be looking at these school photos of lots of fat children Um, and they would have 12 years of daily exercise as a habit Mm. and when they come out they're much more likely to Mm. continue with daily Mm. exercise when life gets busy Mm. and like if you can't find time to do daily exercise Mm. when you're at school Mm. you're never going to be able to do it as you Mm. get older Mm. and you lay down muscle um, memory and balance and you know there are things like hard bones if you've got very hard bones they're going to last you very well in your life 
jumping actually makes your bones get more dense. Mm. It wouldn't be nice if there was some sort of jumping that all the kids mm. did. So yeah. by the time they got to be 17 yeah. to leave school, yeah. they're as healthy as they possibly can mm. be. Not like the Spartacans, you know, who left their families at age seven and turned into warriors, but just enough so that the kids are practising mm. that. And all kids, not the fit ones, not the sporty ones, because yeah. a lot of people are not sporty. Most people will be very happy to run around and mm. do some exercise if mm. they're given the opportunity mm. and they can go outside and yeah. have school set up so mm. that it's easier to mm. exercise. And then there's tuck shops that can oh, be... Oh, and the tuck, tuck shops. shops. can be educational oh, institutions that actually teach our children more about the, the, the healthiness of that, you know, salad roll, wholemeal bread Absolutely. If yeah. I was the Lord and Master of the Universe, there would be no sugar in tuck shops. There would be no soft drinks of any sort. There would be no cakes, no cookies, nothing. Well, be food, healthy, that's it. You've won my vote, Deb. <laughs> you've won my vote. Hey, Deb, how about you finish it off? All right, lovely. Uh, if, you, if you could, please, because um, I, you, you, you've got I so much to... I had this lovely quote. Do you? Yeah. Wow, yeah. okay. And I want someone to read this at my funeral. Um, and it's by Richard Dawkins who is a um, scientist and into evolution and so on. And he says, imagine at someone's funeral, um, we are going to die and that makes us the lucky ones. Most people are never going to die because they're never going to be born. The potential people who could have been here in my place but who will in fact never see the light of day outnumber the sand grains of Arabia. Certainly those unborn ghosts include greater poets than Keats, scientists greater than Newton. We know this because the set of possible people allowed by our DNA so massively exceeds the set of actual people. In the teeth of these stupefying odds, it is you and I in our ordinariness that are here. We privileged few who won the lottery of birth against all odds how dare we whine at our inevitable return to that prior state from which the vast majority have never stirred? Deb, what a wonderful way to end this podcast. And the phrase there, you and I and all those who are listening today or tomorrow or next week, we've all won the lottery of life. Let's celebrate, enjoy it. And embrace it. And make the most of it. <laughs> Dr. Deb Mills, thank you ever so much Thanks, for being Bernie. on a journey with Bernie. <laughs> it's a pleasure. I do hope you enjoyed today's episode of A Journey with Bernie. I loved it. Of course, the contact and connection details of our special guest and any references to resource material, books, or educational sources can be found in the podcast notes. Do go there, folks. Our guests would so welcome hearing from you. Now, for those of you who have previously rung me about joining our forthcoming adventures to Nepal and those glorious Himalayan trekking trails, it's truly great to have you on board. For those of you that are still interested, may I suggest you visit the website of Global Immersion Travel? That's www.gitravel.com.au. Then ring my equally enthusiastic associate, Taylor Pierce, on 0419-195-953. That's 0419-195-953. Embrace the journey, dear people. 
Just embrace the journey and enjoy every minute of it. And just remember, 